0: Built Not Born, episode 21. I'm Joe Chikarone. Thank you for joining us. Built Not Born is the podcast where each episode, we interview everyday people living remarkable lives. Our guests have made their impact from the boardroom to the battlefield, from the jujitsu mat to the field of medicine. Today's guest is Christy Arts, MD. Dr. Christy Arts is an emergency medicine physician based in Grand Rapids, Michigan. She is a graduate from the University of Michigan with a bachelor's of science in biology. She attended medical school at Wayne State University and did her residency in emergency medicine at the hospital of the University of Pennsylvania, where Christy also served as chief resident. Christy also lived in New Zealand, where she treated everything from Ironman competitors injured in competition, to delivering babies, to working the medevac, treating patients in remote locations on the island. Pretty cool. Now, Christy focuses her medical practice on working with patients to stay out of the emergency room in the first place by helping them adapt a whole foods, plant-based lifestyle. Dr. Arts holds certificates in plant-based nutrition and culinary medicine. So fortunate to get Christy on the podcast. She's on podcasts much bigger than this one. She is a emerging thought leader in the field of lifestyle medicine, and she agreed to come on today to discuss the latest science that promotes fasting, the different types of fast out there, and what we need to know to get started. We actually do a QA and a that I took from listeners of the podcast and a couple past guests. I reach out to a few people that I know that were into fasting. Dr. Gartz walks us through why fasting is such a powerful tool for not only preventing chronic disease that run in so many families like high blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes, dementia, a tool like fasting and lifestyle medicine can even reverse those conditions from patients that are already suffering from them. Dr. Arts also shares a bunch of helpful tips and ideas on how we can individualize a fasting plan that works for us and our lifestyle, and how fasting can help us all live a longer and healthier life. So, thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation. On the Science of Fasting with Dr. Christy Arts, an emerging thought leader in lifestyle and culinary medicine. And remember, life is built, not born. Dr. Christy Arts, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks, show. It's great to be back.
0: On episode six, we spoke about the power of lifestyle medicine. One of the things we did not address in episode six is fasting. Speaking to multiple people that are into their diet, into their health, just trying to find a way just to live a healthier lifestyle. I know so many people from jujitsu fighters to CEOs to moms and dads who just live raising their families that they're intermittent fasting. And what I found is everyone does it different. Everyone has different rules. Everyone thinks coffee ruins it. Coffee doesn't ruin it. Bone broth, no bone broth. You got to go 20 hours. So I thought we could have you on to give the the scientific medical research, what you do in your clinical practice. And I just have a whole bunch of questions, if that would work for you.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. And I know there's a ton of interest in fasting. We see that here locally in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's actually been ranked fasting in all its myriad forms has been ranked the number one diet for the last year or two. So I'm not surprised there's lots of
0: questions. (laughs) What is intermittent fasting? And what role does fasting play in a healthy lifestyle?
1: I think we should even back up and say, what is fasting? And then we can talk about the different methods of how you implement fasting. And that's where something like intermittent fasting would come in. So fasting by definition is pretty simple. It's abstinence from all kinds of food. It's something you choose to do. So number one, I know there's sometimes a common misperception that fasting is similar to starving. And we want to avoid that type of thinking because fasting is something that we choose to do, whereas clearly the reverse is true for the starvation state. So we're not trying to put our body into a starvation state, which is more uh, psychological stress but fasting is something that we can choose to do there's it's a time honored tradition in human evolution and we have many adaptive biologic responses to fasting that have been preserved over millennium so it's something that our bodies are really truly designed to do and it's only within the last couple probably within the last century where we've really moved away from Fasting. And sometimes I would say in the past, maybe we didn't even realize we were trying to fast or doing it intentionally, but it was more adapted to our pattern of eating. Really simple fasting is abstinence from all kinds of food. Then you can talk about what is the physiologic definition of fasting. And that's where we get into some of the really interesting science, what we've learned. How fasting can be beneficial is this physiologic response that our body has, where we go from burning glucose as our main source of energy and shifting over, we have what's called a metabolic shift, where we begin to burn more of our fatty acids, the fat-containing tissues where those fatty acids reside, and shift into ketones as being the main fuel when we're in a fasted state. And then finally, there is a more kind of cellular definition or like a molecular definition of fasting. And it's when we put ourselves into a stress state for the benefits that we develop resilience within our cells. And we can also tap into some of the cell cleanup, cell renewal. That's also been demonstrated in some of the recent science around fasting.
0: What role would fasting play in a healthy lifestyle?
1: Fasting is a tool that I think we should all become familiar with. That's where you can get back to defining some of the intermittent fasting. Fasting can be implemented almost for everyone in some meaningful way. And it can occur as time-restricted eating, which to me and what the science really suggests is choosing your eating window and then consuming your calories only within that window. You can extend it longer and get into these periods of what we would describe as intermittent fasting. And people may do a 14-hour fast up to or 22 to 24 hours, depending on how they want to implement their intermittent fast. When you get beyond three days of fasting, that's where we get into our more prolonged fasting protocols. And we can talk a little. Bit about that as well. There are very few conditions that prohibit you from fasting, although there are some clear contraindications. Clearly, if you're undernourished already, or you're pregnant or breastfeeding, or you have an active infection, or the other scenarios where it can be potentially more, not, I don't want to say dangerous, but a state where you might, you would likely need more medical guidance, is if you have renal disease or liver disease in their more advanced form. So, Outside of those conditions, most people can approach fasting. And I would encourage you to have the conversation with your doctor, hopefully your doctor has some knowledge around fasting and nutrition. Although I think maybe we touched on it in the last podcast, Joe, that most physicians don't receive training in nutrition and typically are not trained in fasting. So it's something that we need to pursue by reading the the basic science, the clinical science, and then also the clinical application with our own patients, which is what I've been actively involved with, along with my colleague lifestyle medicine physician. So back to your question, how does it fit into a healthy lifestyle plan? And I would say it's always part of the plan. And it may often be the place that many people begin making changes in their lifestyle, If I'm seeing a patient, for example, who is really struggling with that standard American diet, high in salt, sugar, and fat, lots of food addictions that are troubling them, causing diseases in their life, fasting can oftentimes be one of the initial places that we begin because it can be that real hard reset that our body needs. Others might try to work Initially on improving diet and lifestyle factors, and then bring in fasting later on. So there's lots of different ways that we can individualize fasting. It is something that as you take more, gain awareness of what your patterns look like day in and day out in terms of when you take your meals what your typical eating window looks like, what time of day do you typically exercise? Once you start to factor in some of those lifestyle behaviors, then you can really begin to design an effective and sustainable fasting plan for
0: yourself. A lot of times the first step in the journey is the hardest. And people just don't know where to start. If someone who never fasted before, can you describe a good window for that first time faster to set them up for success?
1: Yeah, it can sound really scary to fast, I think, for some people. But again, let's also realize back to what we were talking about earlier that our bodies are designed to fast. And if you even think about the word breakfast, it's breaking the fast. So most people can find a fasting window quite easily if we use our sleep time as a large portion of our fast. So the initial place to begin with a lot of people is to go back to what I said a couple minutes ago, is first understand what is your current eating window looking like. And this is something that as a lifestyle physician, I'll always implement as part of our initial visit together is tell me when the first meal is, what is it, food and drink, and walk me through your entire day until that final calorie that you put in your mouth. And so we can start to understand, and most people don't, Bring in a lot of awareness, not because they're not desiring to make changes, but only when someone asks you to really evaluate and take a step back and look at what you're currently doing, can you bring that awareness to your daily habits and behaviors. And from there, an eating window um, for most people... I always tried to get them to at least 12 hours at a minimum, giving yourself 12 hours of an eating window and a fasting window. And from there, then we can build longer and longer windows as we determine what are your health goals, what diseases or conditions are you currently trying to improve, reduce, or put into remission. And then we can figure out how fasting can be built in. But start with a 12 hour eating window and the earlier that eating window is the better that's certainly what you know most of the science is showing current state is that a calorie eaten in the morning is not stored or utilized the same as a calorie eaten in the evening. We have higher insulin resistance in the evening. Most people tend to move toward those processed carbohydrates or snack foods in those after dinner hours of eating. And so those foods are more likely to be stored as fat and drive a lot of our chronic diseases.
0: It's like after thirty years old, nothing good happens after midnight.
1: <laughs> right, totally. Like
0: thirty, I'm learning as we go here. So you're saying a, an eating window could be as soon as you wake up. You could eat for four or five hours, then cut it off and not eat till breakfast the next day. That sounds like it may be more beneficial than saving your meal till dinner time, like fasting all day. Because you're saying the calorie in the morning is different than the calorie at night. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, it has to do with our circadian rhythms and how our hormones fluctuate naturally during those cycles, those circadian rhythms that are for most of us who are in a wakeful state during the day and sleeping at night. Obviously, with shift workers, and I'm familiar with that as an emergency medicine doctor, then your circadian rhythms can be disrupted, and there's different states where that can happen. But for most people, who in the morning and eat their calories during the, the daylight hours, an earlier eating window is typically going to help us to maintain a healthy weight, to reduce insulin resistance. And so that can be a really easy place for people who really wants to eat breakfast, go ahead, have breakfast, and then finish your eating window around 3 p.m. So you may have a large breakfast and a large kind of middle of the day meal, and then fast until the following breakfast. Mm -hmm. And that would be perfect. And that's where the individualized aspect of this comes into play. A lot of other people will say, I'm never hungry for breakfast, but I'm always told that breakfast is the most important meal of the day and that I must eat it. I think that we've been misled a little bit, that we don't all need three full meals a day with snacks in between. Our bodies are very well designed to have two meals a day, maybe a light snack in between. And hydration, of course, is so important with water, herbal teas, some amount of coffee, but not an excessive amount of coffee. Mm -hmm black coffee or unsweetened coffee. So you can then adapt that eating window depending on your current lifestyle, what your work life is, your family life, and it should work for you. It has to be an eating window that's sustainable for you. But again, if you start with the basics and just say, and I write this as a a prescription to most of my patients is close the kitchen after dinner. That is going to be the first, and you decide where your dinner is. Is it 6 PM because you're enjoying a meal with your family? that's great. It's a way to come together and share a meal. But then your eat, your fasting window begins immediately after that meal ends. And then you can figure out if I need to get at least 12 hours, okay, then we get to six or seven in the morning, and then we can extend from there. So it's variable. There are individuals that choose to implement intermittent fasting on a 24-hour window where they do alternate day fasting. So intermittent fasting can come in a form of less than 24-hour fast periods. Or as I mentioned, the alternate day fasting, where you fast for 24 hours, eat for 20, not eat for 24 hours, but you <laughs> eat a regular on a regular meal pattern. Like- and some people like to do uh, five days of eating their regular cycle and then two days of fasting, although the science suggests that's less sustainable for most people just because of how it impacts
0: their family, social life, so- social circles. I collected a bunch of questions from past podcast guests who I reach back out to, jujitsu fighters, CEOs of companies, and just the average dad and mom raising a family. And he, I came up with a, about two dozen questions. I'll, I'll throw them at you rapid fire and you could give us what, what the medical research says. Question one. What does the research show about the clinical differences between the different fasting methods, the 16, eight window, the five, two, what you just mentioned, or the 24 hour fast, how are they clinically different?
1: All essentially show that you can reduce insulin resistance, you can achieve weight loss in a healthy weight, you can reduce inflammation. There are studies that have been shown on rheumatoid arthritis, where implementing intermittent fasting and a vegetarian diet can actually reduce symptoms of, of rheumatoid arthritis. There are lots of studies around our metabolic diseases. So things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, fatty liver disease, type 2 diabetes, that elevated or that larger waist circumference. If you get a tape measure around your waist and you're finding that your pant size or your belt buckle size is bigger than it used to be, that's the type of fat that puts us at risk for all of those chronic diseases. And fasting has been demonstrated to improve many of those metabolic conditions. So I would say this day and age where most people above the age of 40 have at least one of those metabolic conditions, fasting is a tool that's available to everyone. It costs no money and it can be implemented safely in most people. The science suggests that we should particularly as lifestyle physicians, we should be using this as a first line therapy for most of our patients that have metabolic diseases. And then autoimmune diseases appear to respond quite well because of that decreased inflammation, other kind of cellular molecular pathways that can be triggered. Again, we talked about earlier that fasting essentially puts every cell in the body in a stress state in order to develop resilience. And that's one of the biggest benefits of fasting is that every cell in the body has an opportunity to respond to the fasted state. And that's where we see benefits in terms of reduction in sort of the aging process where we see improved metabolic conditions. And then more studies likely need to be done around more advanced disease states like cancer and autoimmune conditions and even neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's disease as well.
0: What's the minimum amount of time a person needs to go without eating to get any sort of benefit from fasting?
1: Essentially, what most studies have shown is that anywhere between 8 to 12 hours, and it's probably closer to 12 hours, our body has this metabolic switch that occurs where we move from glucose being the main fuel for our cells And we begin to then start to utilize the fatty acids as the fuel source and well ketones that are produced from our fatty acids as the fuel source. So ketosis is really not the goal of fasting indicates that we have gone into that fasted state, that metabolic switch has occurred. So most people need around 12 hours back to that time-restricted eating and giving yourself 12 hours every day where you don't consume any calories at all can be a highly effective way where you get some of the initial early benefits of fasting on a daily basis.
0: Is there a sweet spot? I know medicine is not one size fits all, but if you had to pick one time window, what, what would you pick? What does the science show?
1: I know probably you and your listeners want to say there's one that's better than any of the others, but from what I've seen in the research and clearly with working with patients is again, individualizing this to a certain degree, because again, we want this to be sustainable. We want to develop a pattern that is something that on a weekly basis, fasting, a lot of people will say intermittent fasting for 14 or 16 hours, three times a week works really well for me great. Okay, let's keep that up. And let's talk about what happens outside the fasting window. And of course, as a lifestyle physician and someone who is very interested in getting nutrition from whole plant foods, there's a lot of effort and time to be spent in that that area. But if fasting three times a week Or some people say, look, I'm out the door in the morning, I have to get right to work fasting five days a week, and then enjoying breakfast with my family on the weekends. Great. Okay, let's match the fasting therapy tool with also the health goals that you're trying to achieve. And then beyond intermittent fasting, there's other fasting protocols that we've implemented with our patients in lifestyle medicine where we have an extended fast that's five days long. And we're starting to look at, are there some patients that we could even safely begin to water fast at home for a longer period of time if they're interested in reversing type two diabetes or obesity or, you know, all so these other metabolic conditions?
0: You're saying that there are some patients out there that would not eat for five days, it would just to hydrate for five days.
1: No, we have a product that we've brought into our clinic where there's it's a nutritionally supported fast. And it's quite interesting. It's been studied extensively. And it's the reason that we brought this particular five day fasting regimen into our medical practice is that Water fasting can be a little bit more nuanced and requires closer observation. Sometimes patients will even check themselves into a clinic, that a residential clinic that does water fasting for disease reduction. And that's wonderful. I think, again, it's a tool that we should be leaning and learning more about and implementing more for patients and allowing people to learn more about that. But for those who want to fast, have a prolonged fasted state, but do it safely and be able to continue with their day-to-day activities. There's one fasting program and the one that we use in our medical clinic that allows you for five days to essentially stay in that fasted state. And and it appears through the extensive science and the the research studies that have been done on that product is that five-day fast period can really begin to promote disease reduction, cell renewal, Tap happened to some of these longevity mechanisms that most of us are interested in. And then reserving that water fasting for very specific cases and with patients who can be followed closely by their physician, if their physician has knowledge around fasting.
0: Here's another question from a listener. Why do some people say it's okay to drink coffee or bone broth during a fast? You know, what, what can you drink? What can't you drink? When does the fast end?
1: Mm-hmm. What I've seen and read around the science and, and again, the clinical application and, and what we're trying to prevent. If we're trying to stay in a fasted state, we're trying to prevent glucose being the source of fuel. So if we drink black coffee or an herbal tea, bone broth, there's probably a variety of different preparations. I wouldn't know across the board if that would work in all cases, but essentially, black coffee. You know, unsweetened herbal teas, we're not going to be providing any glucose as fuel to our body. So we'll remain in that fasted state. Most people, especially if you're new to fasting and say, you drink coffee most mornings, and you're really concerned that you're going to develop a headache as the prominent symptom that's going to be triggered, if you miss coffee or if you're fasting, then up to about six, maybe up to eight ounces of black coffee would be acceptable on a fasting protocol. Although, you know, water hydration and lots of it is really one of the most Critical components, especially when you're trying to minimize any potential side effects that you may experience, especially. When you're early on in fasting, the studies around fasting will show that as your body adapts very quickly. So if you decide that you want to enter into an 18-hour intermittent fasting kind of pattern, your body will adapt to that very quickly. So your hunger triggers will go down, you'll experience fewer headaches, and most people will find actually they have more energy, feel more alert, don't experience fatigue, and actually feel quite good when they're fasting.
0: You mentioned migraines. Here's a a direct question from a listener. I get migraines when I don't eat. I tried intermittent fasting in the past and just got bad migraines. Did I do something wrong or is fasting just not for me?
1: I would reassess what your fasting window was in that scenario, figure out what time of day, when did the headache get triggered? What were you doing the days prior? That is something that if a patient is interested in fasting with us either for on an intermittent state or on that five-day fasting protocol, well, I'll often try to prepare them, get them more nutritionally ready for a fast by making sure they're drinking adequate water, trying to eat more of those whole, mostly plant foods, really trying to get their body ready for that fast. So for the listener with a headache, hydration, I would say is probably one of the biggest things and uh, not getting enough um, water hydration during the fast or even prior to the fast. So looking at that, and then again, if it, it may be a caffeine withdrawal scenario. So consider that. And then finally, a lot of people and not knowing the listener and knowing the their dietary pattern, but a lot of people experience withdrawal from their diet. Because it's high in salt, sugar, and fat, our body truly goes into withdrawal when we remove these foods rapidly like we do in a fast. So sometimes we just have to give it more time, get over that hump, and hydrate, hydrate, hydrate through it.
0: Here's another question. I heard if I do a 20-slash-4 fast, 20 fast for eating, it doesn't matter what I eat. I'm not going to gain weight.
1: I would say that's maybe one of the potential downsides of fasting is that there may be a misconception that you can eat whatever you want when you're in your eating window, if you're doing these prolonged fasts. And I agree this, the science shows that you're very likely to still continue to see weight loss, improve disease markers and all of those things. But every meal does count. And even though you may still be achieving some of those health goals, which is wonderful because fasting is so powerful and so effective, we need to think about what's happening still as we go into that refeeding phase. And now we've essentially allowed our our cells within our body to clean themselves up. So we wouldn't then want to put all the junk food, all the highly processed foods, the bad sources of fats and refined carbohydrates. We would ideally want to avoid that in order just to promote again, these longevity pathways and healing from the inside out. When we think about conditions like cardiovascular disease and the endothelium and how poor diet really causes inflammation at the level of the blood vessel, keep that in mind. Every meal counts. Fasting is powerful, but what happens outside of the fast is is probably just as important.
0: Here's two questions coming at it from two opposite sides. I'll, I'll go with, here's the first one, question or statement. I'm at my ideal body weight, and weight gain is not an issue for me. Is intermittent fasting still a good idea?
1: Yeah, I would say for sure. There's no reason that it would be unsafe or contraindicated. Our bodies are designed to fast. We are adapted to a fasted state, and you can achieve some of these longevity benefits. One of the really interesting things that's been studied around fasting is this um, process called autophagy that occurs when we're in a fasted state. It really doesn't happen all that often outside of the fasted state. So when we're looking at ways to, and what autophagy is, essentially our body being able to recognize components within our cells that are not functioning properly, or maybe they weren't formed properly. We need to get that garbage out of our cells so that our cells can function optimally and we can reduce the aging pathways. So fasting promotes autophagy, the cell cleanup. So even if you're at an ideal body weight, you're not requiring medications for any chronic conditions, there still is a potential role and benefit for fasting in your general lifestyle protocol.
0: True or false? Fasting helps the body reproduce cells and repair itself faster because it's not busy with the digestion process. I think they're
1: trying to get at the idea of autophagy and and this cell cleanup that occurs. It's not so much that our body, our body is constantly, whether it's our our hair or skin, there's cell turnover and cell renewal to some degree, but we also want to clean up what's happening inside of the cells. So I think if that's what The question was trying to get at, we certainly can tap into that process. And it has less to do with digestion, which is more of that bowel process, and more to do with that molecular and that physiologic definition of fasting that we mentioned earlier. It's when we switch the fuel source and what that does for a lot of these molecular pathways
0: within the cells. I'm a bodybuilder that wants to add weight by building muscle. Would intermittent fasting help or hurt? There's
1: been some interesting studies around. I guess we should start with when we implement fasting as part of our lifestyle protocol, fasting preferentially taps into, we're in that fasted state and we've had that metabolic switch, and we're using our fatty acids and ketones as the fuel source, we're not getting those from our lean muscle mass, our body preferentially tries to preserve that so we can tap into our fat stores first. And we see that actually with our patients that we put on fasting protocols, we'll have a body composition analysis when we see them for the first time and measure their percent body fat and their skeletal muscle mass. And as they fast and enter into some other dietary changes as well, we oftentimes will see maintenance or improved skeletal muscle, we'll see percent body fat reducing, particularly around that midsection, around the, the waist. So for athletes and individuals who are looking to increase their lean muscle mass, you know, fasting can be highly effective for them. We know that our body in response to that metabolic switch Will actually have more adrenaline released in order to tap into those fat stores. And we can see some amount of elevation and growth hormone, which can help us with maintaining muscle mass. So it may be actually exercising in a fasted state can be highly effective. There are some small studies that have looked at that and shown that for reducing weight and reducing body fat, that exercising in a fasted state can be almost even better than exercising when you're in that fed state. But again, you need to think about is this safe for me? Is this right for me? If you're an individual that takes medications for diabetes or high blood pressure, you have to be cautious with how you design your fasting. And, and this is where talking to a physician can be really helpful. So for example, if you've, you're you doing a 16 hour fast and you're doing this on a regular basis, or you're you would like to do it on a regular basis, but you're new to fasting especially, you may find that your blood sugar drops if you're on medications for diabetes. So you have to understand the implications and make sure you're doing it in a safe way. But outside of that, fasting appears to be, and exercising in a fasted state appears to be a, a good strategy for many people.
0: If you're giving exercise during your fasting a thumbs up.
1: It's a thumbs up. If, again, if you're not on chronic medications for diabetes and high blood pressure, I would say... Certainly give it a try, especially if you if you like to get your workouts in the morning or even if you just want to do a, a shortened workout in the morning while you're in that fasted state, there definitely appears to be some benefits that can be achieved by exercising in a fasted state.
0: And getting back to the bodybuilder question, he wants to add weight by building lean muscle mass. You're saying potentially they can even be more shredded if they go on a fast because the, the fast goes after the fat cells, not the lean muscle mass correct. Very cool. How about type two diabetes? Is it recommended that a type two diabetic fast that could could do a 24 fast if you're a 65 year old type two diabetic? Do you need a doctor for that? What would you recommend?
1: I would recommend definitely talking to a physician and hopefully someone that has some knowledge around fasting. The more... That we learn about fasting and the, the scientific evidence of fasting as we look at these evolutionary preserved mechanisms in our body, how adapted we are to fasting, and knowing that type 2 diabetes is so prevalent, it's becoming it, it's just unbelievable to me that this is not a first-line treatment for most people who either have been diagnosed with pre-diabetes or are currently being treated for type 2 diabetes. And here's the comparison that I'll provide is that many individuals who have obesity and type two diabetes, depending if, uh, particularly if their type two diabetes has been poorly controlled, their blood sugars are high, their hemoglobin A1Cs are high, they may qualify for bariatric surgery. And we see pretty rapid reversal of type two diabetes with bariatric surgery, but we can see Very similar results in the same amount of time without the potential complications that you may have with a bariatric procedure, we can obtain a lot of those results and, and maybe even better results through fasting. Now, I haven't seen any head-to-head studies between bariatric surgery and fasting. So again, this is based on the scientific evidence that we have around bariatric surgery and that the evidence that we have around fasting. But again, if we think about risk and benefit, we think about the fact that fasting is free. It's available to all of us. It costs nothing. It's highly effective. It's something that our bodies are naturally designed to do. It's really our environment that drives us to eat on such a regular interval, the types of foods that we're exposed to that really promote type 2 diabetes. My recommendation would not be for every type 2 diabetic to just like cold turkey it, go into a fast, not tell their doctor. You could have episodes of low blood sugar, hypoglycemia. So that would be the side effect that we would really want to try to avoid, particularly in diabetic patients. But if you have a physician that you can talk to about fasting, Yes, this is a treatment and a highly powerful tool that could allow you to see reduction in your diabetes markers, improved insulin sensitivity, even to the extent that some people may be able to achieve disease remission for type 2 diabetes.
0: Should kids fast?
1: That's an interesting one. I would say in general, no. Kids are not just little adults. We learned that in medical school and and it depends on the age of the child, I would say. But overall, teaching kids to have healthy, whole, mostly plant food patterns of eating, that's going to be the best thing um, nutrition-wise and disease reduction strategy that we can offer to kids. Kids have different metabolic needs because of their growth and their skeletal growth, their brain growth. And so fasting is not a tool that I've seen utilized at all in children, but every child can certainly have 12 hours of not eating. So again, designing a family style or pattern of eating where people are not snacking after dinner and that meals are at regular timed intervals, that's a very effective strategy for keeping our kids health and weight optimal. So I would encourage every family to try to figure out where that natural window is to close the kitchen, that nobody needs calories after a certain amount of time. But talking about it in a way is proactive and also very health forward for the family.
0: You touched on something there about just the the number of myths out there. Like you mentioned about there's a certain point where you shut the kitchen off and it makes so much sense. But wasn't too long ago that you would always hear, oh, well, like the graze diet, where you just want to constantly graze throughout the day. There's no big meal. Like you're just every two, three hours you're eating and you're eating from when you wake up to you go to bed every two, three hours, because it keeps your metabolism going. And that that was definitely a diet that I knew a lot of people followed where they just constantly grazed all day. And now this is totally different where this is like almost the opposite, where it's just like a a, a window and you're putting everything in a, a particular window and you're shutting it off the rest of the day. There's so much myth versus fact. There's so much contradictory information out there. It's easy to see how people get confused.
1: Absolutely. And again, fasting, it's a natural state for our body to be in. The other big benefit I would say for fasting, whether it's an an intermittent fasting schedule or a prolonged fasted uh, state for three to five days, is that it gives people a really good perspective. On how much more control they might have in their life around the foods that they eat. And I think that's one of the real clear kind of psychological benefits around fasting. And I haven't tested this or necessarily seen studies around it, but so many people experience, you know, hope, hopelessness around being able to clean up their diet or lose weight or whatever health goal it is that they have in mind that they feel like they've tried everything. And then fasting comes along. And again, this is not a new strategy. This has been around since humans been on planet Earth. But fasting, once you experience it, you can start to understand your cues for hunger a little bit more. You become more intuitive with your eating, which is a really powerful skill that people can tap into when they've experienced fasting for a prolonged state. So, yeah, the grazing is not necessary. Our bodies have plenty of fuel for our brains, for basic metabolic needs for our organs. We do not need to be grazing throughout the day. We actually are designed to experience this fasted state. We often have improved mental clarity, more energy, less GI disturbance. All of these, you know, symptoms that can be reduced by allowing our bodies to fast.
0: Here's one about fasting and ketosis. How is fasting related to ketosis? And how long does it take to get into ketosis?
1: We probably touched on it when we talked about that physiologic definition of what fasting is. And it's when we switch from burning glucose for our energy when we switch into burning our fatty acids and having ketones as that fuel source, we're not trying to just achieve ketosis. It's really a marker of being in the fasted state. So I have had some patients where they're measuring their urine ketones, I've not advised them to do that, but they think that ketosis is the desired outcome of fasting, when in fact, it's really just that switch that occurs, that physiologic switch, when our body is no longer, we've depleted our glycogen stores and our liver and our muscle. And now we move into our fat stores as that fuel source. Even those of us who are at an ideal body weight, we, we have fat stores that can be tapped into during that fasting period. These
0: are the last two questions and I'm going to just combine them. They're related. Uh, one is, what are the risks of intermittent fasting? And then the follow up question is, when does fasting become an eating disorder?
1: So I, the risks appear to be minimal for intermittent fasting outside of the conditions that we previously mentioned. Clearly, if you're pregnant or breastfeeding or you have an active um, infection or things, those are not states where you want to be fasting. So if we take out those exclusionary conditions, then we look at some of those other states like type two diabetes, high blood pressure, where you're on medications, where when you remove... Food for a period of time, there may be side effects produced by those medications that may require you to have medication reductions or changes. And that's something that I do frequently with patients is we'll identify medications that could get them in trouble while they're fasting. So again, most people can safely implement intermittent fasting in a multitude of ways. The question around eating disorder, that one is interesting. And I I certainly am not a psychiatrist. And I don't work specifically with individuals that have eating disorders or, you know, disordered eating. But certainly, if that's something that you've had in your past history, it's been problematic for you, you would really need to talk with a physician to understand if fasting would be right for you, because we certainly wouldn't want fasting to trigger a recurrence of disordered eating or a problem that may reemerge. And I've not seen that happen, but it's certainly something that I screen for when we're talking about fasting to determine that you don't have a disordered pattern of eating now that could be made worse by fasting. But again, it's... The fasting protocol can be individualized, optimized for each person, and it probably looks different for every person. So I feel that overall fasting is a highly studied, it's research tested, it's time tested, and people do remarkably well, especially when they have other lifestyle changes they're implementing around their diet and physical activity and restorative sleep and stress reduction and all these other factors that are so important to our health.
0: So if I wanted to synthesize all this, and there was, there were so many questions that people asked, how do I get started? Let me synthesize all the great information you just shared over the last hour. So if someone said, Hey, let's start with 12 hour window, Earlier the calorie, the better. They want to start their eating early and end early. That seems to be beneficial. Six to eight ounces of coffee during their fast would be fine. A black coffee, no sweetener. Close the kitchen at a certain time after you eat the certain meal, close the deal for the next 12 hours. And then when you do break your fast, whole foods, plant-based, eating food that nature made from the ground. What am I missing?
1: You got it. You nailed it, Joe. I mean, that. that's really... the the secret to fasting right there. And then as you experience the benefits of that initial 12 hours and you gain some confidence around fasting, That's when most people can then safely begin to extend their fasting window if they choose to do. When you close the kitchen after dinner, water and herbal tea, those are always going to be allowable on a fast, but you nailed it, Joe. That's the way to do it.
0: For our listeners that may want to go back to episode six, could you give us a 60-second version of the power of lifestyle medicine. Tell it what lifestyle medicine is and the importance of having a whole foods, plant-based diet, a summary of what you do and what we spoke of.
1: Yeah, lifestyle medicine is, and fasting is part of a lifestyle medicine protocol, really getting at the root cause of preventing and, and reducing the diseases that are so common in our culture. Again, all of our chronic diseases, type two diabetes, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, dementia, these are all preventable in most cases, preventable conditions that Lifestyle medicine, particularly the power of a whole food, plant-predominant diet, daily physical activity, restorative sleep, stress reduction, and maintaining those social connections in all the the great ways, whether it's through the friends that you exercise with or book clubs, all these different ways. But when we start to see that as the treatment, we can restore our health now and for a lifetime.
0: If people are interested in more of that information. They could just go back to episode six, where Dr. Arts does a deep dive into whole foods, plant-based medicine. If someone's looking for a book to learn more about fasting, any particular books that you would recommend?
1: Yeah. So there's one book that I would recommend called The Longevity Diet by Walter Longo, L-O-N-G-O. And he is the researcher behind the product, the fasting product that we um, utilize in our lifestyle medicine practice. And he's looked at cultures around the world that naturally implement Fasting and then a very plant predominant diet and, and the longevity potential that combination has provided to cultures around the world. And then also Dr. Greger's How Not to Diet. He has several sections in that book that cover fasting and the science of fasting really well. So that would be a great source or to go to his podcast or video cast at nutritionfacts.org.
0: That book, How Not to Diet is Money, and uh, his videos are on the money. Dr. Arts, uh, thank you for your time. Uh, Thank you for joining us again on the podcast. Really appreciate all the great medical uh, information you shared on fasting and intermittent fasting and diet. Really appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Joe. And I hope the listeners gain some great insight on fasting and have success with it.
0: If people were looking for you online, where could they find you?
1: they can go to spectrumhealth.org backslash lifestyle medicine, and you can find our practice. You'll be able to find a link to some of our consumer classes, some which are free webinars, other experiences where you can tap into the knowledge that our lifestyle medicine team has.
0: Dr. Christy Arts, great to see you. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Joe.